Hey everybody, welcome back to Black Belt or Buzzed. I'm Misty. And I'm Keely. And you probably know that by now if you've been listening. And for those of you currently listening, we're having a few technical difficulties yeah. with Zoom. Please bear with us. Yes. So today we have on George Stevens. He is, well, he was one of our teammates, unfortunately. <laughs> He's not anymore, but uh george has been training martial arts for 14 years and he's been doing jujitsu for 11, 11 of those and the impressive part of this is that george is only 17 he's yeah. he's by the time the episode's going to come out he's going to be 18 so preemptive happy birthday george yes started at helson gracie and then he was over at alliance under hoffa which is like how we're like how all of us know each other. How we know each other and became teammates. And now he's at Stealth BJJ, but because of the current lockdown, he's not training right now. But we are currently telecommunicating with the UK because George currently resides in the UK. Hey, George, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? There we go. Good. We can hear you this yes. time. So, uh, okay. So to get started, when Keely and I started the podcast, I knew I wanted to have George on because he is so young. And we say that in a nice way, yeah, George. Like, like, really? <laughs> I want to make sure you know that we're not being like, George is so young. <laughs> no, is. it's just you just happen to be a young adult. Yes. Yep. <laughs> but I mean, you know, and then George also just, you just got your purple belt before leaving us, which is awesome. But I knew that, like, when we started the podcast, I wanted to have you on because I've been doing this for almost three years now. So I've seen a lot of a exponential amount of growth from you within three years. Like you could take an adult like me or Keely within three years and be like, yeah, they've improved, they've grown in skill. But like for you that, I mean, your growth is just skyrocketed. So I was telling the story prior to having to restart the recording because I just <laughs> literally went into a spiel and then it wasn't working. But um, the first time I met George, he was a green belt and he came over to my gym and my coach had him roll with me and it felt like rolling with a grown man because he was just so skilled. Like he, I, mm -hmm. he stopped everything I was able to do. I had no idea what to do with rolling with this kid, but, but with, you know, all the crap that went down in 2020, things have shifted, goals have changed. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, we can talk about like your age and like your goals and all these things you want to achieve and all that stuff, but the changes in your goals, because you, you wanted to win like certain, um, certain tournaments and, you know, achieve all these things, although it, it's had to adjust. So what did you want to achieve while you were in the U.S. prior to moving to the U.K. that you you may be able to achieve in the future, but may not to right now? Well, my goals haven't changed. It's just the the time frame of me being able to achieve them might have changed. Um, so last year, of course, I was still juvenile. So I really wanted to get a juvenile title out of Pan's World, something like that. Um, of course, I was signed up for both of them uh, prior to COVID hitting. I had my flights, everything, tournament, all that booked. Um, I, of course, yeah, I wanted to win a juvenile title, but everyone knows that the title that matters is Black Belt Worlds. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, yeah, I still want to win, of course, a, a a major title every belt. Blue belt is sadly gone. Uh, that goal has sadly had to, uh, I've had to pass away on that one. But purple belt, my goal is to, of course, because now I'm in Europe, I can do Europeans. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, whenever the pans and worlds happens, I'd love to be able to travel back and t uh, compete in them as an adult purple belt. Um, so, yeah, basically, my goals have not changed. Just um, the time frame of being to achieve them has just changed just slightly. Yeah. Um, and for people who don't know, I mean, you can go and look on George's social media and see all the stuff that he's won. But a lot of the stuff that you've been able to achieve here what were some of like your favorite tournaments that you were able to compete in and win while you were here well um of course the biggest one i ever did was worlds 2019. uh i sadly didn't place but i at least won one match which uh, of course was a big thing to me um sadly lost in the quarterfinals 
Uh, I won Atlanta Open double gold this year, which of course was a big um, thing for. Oh, sorry, not this year, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a major thing because that was a, just a good, great way to start off the year winning double gold at a Open like that. Because that, of course, that was the year I was planning to do everything. Um, so that was just such a great way to start off the tournament season. So, of course, now, of course, over here there's lockdown, so no tournaments are happening at all. Sadly, not even trainings happening. Mm-hmm. Are you doing anything at home? Like, are you and your dad yeah, able to do some stuff? Not in the house we're in currently. There's actually zero room to do any jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just just been doing home workouts. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, at least you're doing something. I mean, it sucks because you know. Not to give away whether or not training's been happening with us, but I mean, we've been able to get some stuff done. Um, now, prior to leaving, being such a young competitor, let's talk about like what your schedule was like while you were training at Alliance and trying to get to Worlds, even prior to COVID. What was your training schedule like? Um, so... Do you want last year, uh, sorry, 2019's yes, training okay. schedule, or do you want prior to or COVID? 2020. Yeah. COVID was, <laughs> so, especially for the people that don't know you, compared to a lot of adult competitors, you are already so much more accomplished than some of the like high end adult competitors in yeah. terms of like the proportion of times that you have podiumed or won, mainly won, in various competitions on both IBJJF and local level, because I think. We had talked in person before about how you utilize a lot of like the new breeds and local tournaments to be able to tweak your game for those larger tournaments such as IBJJF and how you're able to compete more often, but you have different intentions or purposes for those. And so you not only train a lot, but you travel to be able to cross train and you help with kids class. Whenever you were here, you were helping Logan and Hoffa with classes, you know, so just before shutdown, what was a normal schedule for you? Like in terms of being able to balance your personal training as well as helping other people. Um, Cause I know you also had started doing some strength and conditioning then, and then how that w- had to adjust due to the shutdown. Is that So, um, before so in january last year uh actually i think even late december me and hoffa and a few other people from the gym were going up to lucas's uh tuesday thursday so we'd get up at like 6 45 in the morning to get there for 10 o'clock training mm-hmm. uh so we'd do i think it was like an hour and a half of just hard or like 10 15 minutes of some light warm-up drilling and then just uh hard rolling uh so that was tuesday thursdays and then Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, I would train, of course, at Alliance. I would do 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock um, jiu-jitsu class. And then I would – and I, I kind of held back on the teaching side. I would do – instead of uh, teaching kids, I would drill with somebody mm-hmm. uh, in the evening, and then I'd do class. So I, I, I kind of was a bit selfish during those um, – in that time period because – in a sense, you have to be just to make sure you get the optimal training for yourself. So that was this year. Uh, sorry, I keep saying this year. I forget it's 2021 now. <laughs> so that last year, that was my training, um, my training program. Tw- 2019, I felt I felt like I could have done more. At the time, I thought I was doing enough. But now looking back on it, yes, I was pushing myself. Half was pushing me. But I felt like I could have done just that bit more. Um, to help make myself have the best opportunity um, for Worlds. So that's why last year I really thought that was my year. If I could just keep doing what I was doing, I really thought I had a great chance of podiuming, even winning uh, at Panzer Worlds. That's why I was so upset that everything got shut. Do you feel like this has allowed you to really mature in terms of how you approach jujitsu training because of all of this, where you figured out what you do and don't need, or the kind, like you said, how you're balancing teaching classes versus taking classes or drilling with somebody or kind of doing your own thing to get specifically what you need for competition. So do you feel like 
even during the shutdown, that's given you an opportunity where, for example, you can focus more on getting some work in with Lucas Lepree because he's pushing you to that higher level, like you yourself, Hoffa and Logan, before you had to make the move? Um, I think I learned that during lockdown, actually, mm-hmm. um, because I was training with Connor DeAngelis and Hoffa and Logan. That was my main training partners. We just stuck to a little bubble. Um, yeah, they, uh, especially Connor, because I don't, I don't know if you guys really know him, but he is a very deep thinker. He's very methodical with his jiu-jitsu training. Mm-hmm. He taught me how to drill correctly, really, and how to optimize your drilling sessions to make sure you get the best out of it. So he really he really made my mind, my mind's gears turn and twist to make sure that um, when I'm drilling, I'm drilling stuff that I need to, of course, stuff that I need to and how I'm going to make myself better and I can correct myself in a sense. Okay. Um, so, so he really taught me how to drill correctly. So basically the way he showed me is you could get, if you do that way for 30 minutes, it's better than drilling just random stuff for an hour, if that makes sense. Yeah, yes. it really does. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he really, really assisted me on how to just up my personal level of training in, in a sense. So especially right before your move, how the, some of the local gyms were opening back up, but the competitions weren't happening at the level at which we wanted them to. How did that impact your training knowing that you were about to leave in terms of, was it try to go out and get as much training as possible, regardless of if you felt just like tired and beat up because you were like, I may not get this opportunity again. I'm going to do this before we leave. Or was it, you just kept to your same schedule right up until you left? Um, Of course I would have competed as much as I could before I left, but some were restricted, especially after GF, because they just said no. After like all the COVID stuff calmed down a bit, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I competed a few times, not as many as of course I wanted to. Uh, I I trained. I may have upped it just a bit because I was doing like the pans training with Hoffa, Logan, and all of them. Um, yeah, so I I did the training with them. Just I wasn't, of course, competing. Right. So I wanted to ask you, too, about, like, competing locally. Like, you did a lot of the new breeds in smaller tournaments. Did you feel like when you were doing the smaller tournaments that it helped develop your game for bigger IBJJF tournaments? Um, yeah, I'd say so. I also, like, you. oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, or did you just, like, compete in them because you just wanted to compete? Uh, yeah, that too. Um, I also I did it mostly to just get the experience in because the more experience you have, the, um, of course, the less nervous you get for each one. So it just helps you, your whole overall experience the more you compete, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask about that. So now that you've moved, you said that you've got the opportunity to do Europeans. Are there as many local tournaments in the area that you've moved to uh, that you can go? That from, you- from what I've heard, yes. Uh, apparently a few people have said, because of course I'm in Manchester, um, a lot of people said that you could compete every weekend if you wanted to. Oh, that's cool. That is cool. That's more than here. We, we might need to be... Uh, Planning a trip to the UK. Oh, I Be able to come. Well, <laughs> there's the London Open and there's British Nationals. Um, those are the two major IBJJFs in England. And then there's a lot of, like, the Polaris are here. Um, trying to think of some others. Grapple Fest. Uh, and then there's just, I think there's one called the BJJ Open. Oh, no, 24-7 BJJ Open. There's a, there's... There's quite a few um, organizations that, and Grappling Industries is over here as well. Oh, cool. And 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 Naga is as well. So uh, I think I'll be able to compete a good bit when everything gets back to normal. Yeah. And how is like the shift being over there with like the jujitsu community? Because we had so much access to like training, so much access to like 
different ranks, both male and female. Well, and you yourself had, like you said, your own little bubble of very strong, competitive gentlemen that were willing to put in the work. Yeah. So having that tight knit community that you're used to and then making the switch and trying to integrate yourself into a new community. What are some of the differences or even similarities that you've seen between the two? Um, I haven't, I haven't had enough chance to train with the people to notice that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I've only trained maybe five, six times in total, but, um, the one good thing is now I've got a whole, uh, community of new people to train with. They don't know my game. I don't know their game. So it's kind of like a tournament in a sense. Well, not like the tournament aspect, but you, you're rolling with people you never rolled before. So they don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what they're going to do. So the, the roles, um, everyone opens up because you want to be able to show what you can do to the uh, person, if that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, yeah. So, cause I was at Alliance, I knew everybody, how they rolled, they knew how I rolled. So sometimes you get in those stalemates because you know, they're what you're going to do. So you don't want to that to happen because you know, they're really good at that. Yeah. So I feel like these roles that I've had here have been very explosive, very active. Um, there's a guy, his name is George as well. Um, he's a blue belt. He's maybe 10, 15 pounds lighter than me, but, um, we've been drilling a good bit together and, um, we have really good scrappy roles with each other. Cause of course we we're getting to know each other's game now, but we just, uh, we're very explosive and active rollers. So our roles are just very fun and interesting to watch as well. Well, that's fun. Do you feel like you're going to stick with the same? I mean, I'm not going to be here on the podcast and be like, this is what you like to do. I mean, I know exactly what you like to do. Do you think you're going to stick with that game? Or are you now ready to like evolve a little bit more? Um, or to switch it up now that you're in a different environment, yeah. if you're going to just tailor your game and expand upon the game that you like to play? Or do you feel like you're going to revamp a little bit and maybe try a couple of different games now that you are in a new area where they don't really know what you're doing? I'm never going to leave the game that I've, I've perfected because that's, of course, why would you abandon something you've put so much time into? Yeah. But my goal is to just expand as well and just have more tools in my box. Yeah. Of course, I'm not going to just... Leave my loot choke set up and all my system around that because, of course, I just put so much time and drilling into it that I know every ins and outs of um, all the moves and defenses and stuff with that, with all the techniques involved with it. So I'm just gonna evolve my game and just see where everything goes, you know? Yeah. In terms of just your rolling style, and even when you were here in the States, did you feel like there was this difference between how you rolled because, you know, compared to a lot of guys, you're very flexible, very mobile. You're willing to go inverted. And not a lot of guys do that. It's traditionally like, I know with Logan and Hoffa, they also do it to an extent, but anytime we've gone to other gyms, a lot of the guys don't do that. So how has it been having a different game than what some people traditionally play? Or has it, has it been, weird and that or have people made comments going like you know i'm surprised you don't do like a passing game because normally like taller larger guys do more passing rather than wanting to play a guard so have you felt that or even in competitions that more people want to play passing rather than play guard against you well all the juveniles are like me they just pull guard and that's it okay <laughs> but um it's only the, it's the, yeah that's that's literally um, if you go and watch any juvenile match, it's pulling guard and they will get two penalties each because they'll sit in there for two, uh, about a minute and a half because that's how, how long it takes roughly to get two penalties. Mm-hmm. Then they'll stand up, one will pull guard and one will come up. That's literally like half the match right there. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's only I'm in the past. Say, I'm not as informed. So I did not like I didn't even know that at all. <laughs> yeah. Any juvenile match you'll see is double guard pulling every time. Okay. Um, but it's only the past eight to nine months that I've really gotten bigger. Like last year, I think I started out at like 145, 150. Now I'm up to 180. Um, so last year I really worked on my strength and conditioning. I just bulked up a lot. So I guess now I'm going to be that mobile big guy. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a good thing. 
So do you feel like as you have started maturing and being able to do more strength and conditioning to put on some weight and muscle, do you, has that impacted your guard game at all in terms of like your flexibility or being able to go inverted comfortably, or do you feel like it's just added to your game? Oh, it's just added. All I've gotten is stronger. It's not affected anything else. And I feel like it's uh, added to my passing because I was already a very active uh, athletic passer. Now I, I combine that with strength and uh, pressure, and it's just worked amazingly. That's always good. I know so many people that they kind of tail off from jujitsu and focus on strength and conditioning, and then once they come back, they're kind of awkward because it's not like they did things at the same time like you were constantly training jujitsu and then you added strength and conditioning for jujitsu whereas some people try to do like one or the other rather than trying to do both at the same time so then by the time they come back after after bulking up they feel like a little awkward they're like I can't move my body the same way I may not just play the guard I know part of it could be mental but it seems like sometimes they think that there's like a physical limitation yeah so especially since you were balancing everything and it, it just makes sense where you're like it added to your game or it improved your game because now the things you knew how to do, you're able to do it even more effortlessly. Because I know anytime I would watch you roll or even like rolling with me, I always felt like I was your rest round <laughs> because you could just move so quickly. And that kind of leads me into the next part where, you know, me personally, I was always like, it doesn't matter that you were a teen. It was, George has been doing this for years. Why would you be offended if he tapped you out? Yeah. You know, like I would feel bad that I wasn't enough of a challenge for you. And I know some people, they would see it and be frustrated, but you had been training for years. Why would they be upset that somebody that's been training for for years kind of beat their ass, you know, like, so how is it training with some adults that have that mindset of like, just because they're older than you, they should be better than you, or they should be able to put a stop to it, even though this is what you've been doing pretty much your whole life. Um, if they had that attitude, I just wanted to show them wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my, that was my main goal. Um, I, I definitely have done that a few times and I, I found it very amusing, but um yeah i just all i want i i always pride myself of being humble as well i don't i don't want to be that cocky kid like oh i can beat adults i'm gonna go spout that off like oh um i i beat adults in tournaments and everything like that i just i always always want to stay humble but yeah that did put a little smile on my face beating up adults and i could tell that they didn't like it do you feel like you get that often or it's one of those the couple of times somebody's come in the gym, just, you know, like in a way subtly beat it out of them. And then you really don't have that issue again. And, or the person who was the issue just doesn't roll with you again. Or do you feel like it's kind of a frequent thing where you're constantly having to deal with it? Um, I've had it a few times where they just won't roll with me anymore. Um, and then I've had a few times, it's just that first roll that they, what is there? Oh, like two, one or two rolls. And then they're just, they're, they're over it. They're like, Oh, I accept it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. If they, if they don't accept it, that means they have too big of an ego, but I feel like now I'm older and bigger. It's not of a big deal. Cause like when I was younger and smaller, I guess it, it made them feel a bit worse, but now I'm almost 18 and upping up. I'm a purple belt as well now. And I'm upping 180 pounds. It's not as a big deal. So do you feel like you got it more when you were still like green and orange bill and they automatically categorized you as just a young teen rather than somebody that could have a lot of skill to be able to, you know, add value to their game? Because some people are like, oh, they're just this age and this belt and they kind of blow them off. You know, did you feel, especially before you became even a blue belt, that that happened a lot more then, or they, they didn't take you? As yeah, definitely. Yeah. I definitely felt like I got, I gained a bit more respect from a lot of people when I got my blue belt. So do you feel like, especially since you personally went through that, that when you work with teens or when you see teens or something in competition that you either like approach training with them a little bit differently? Um, uh, what do you mean by that? And well, like, 
teens either in the gym that you're working at or, you know, interacting with, do you feel like you're more likely to take them a little bit more seriously or pair up with them because you know what it was like for you at that age? Uh, in a sense, yeah. Um, I don't, you, um, I'm sure Misty, I don't know if you, Kaylee, know, but uh, you know Alex, right? Yeah. The gray belt? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I've, I, I kind of took him under my wing because I saw he was very, uh, he was taking it seriously. Um, I pushed him to, when he was going with like the smaller adults and stuff like that, and the lower ranks, I would tell him to just try to kill them because he had nothing to lose. Yeah. And he's only a 14 year old gray belt. So um, I kind of taught him, like I went through the problems of getting smashed and smashed and smashed. Like you just got to deal with it. And I feel like he, he, I could tell he didn't like it at the beginning. But um, I think he's gotten used to it now that he will get beaten and beaten for a little bit. And then when he finally gets older and bigger, he'll start to surpass the lower ranks and then the smaller smaller people. Then he'll start to get uh, to blue belts and a bit heavier people. Um, so I just taught him that just deal with it for now. Suck it up. Just one day it will come. So do you think that it's beneficial for the teens who are having to be in kids class, so you haven't quite transitioned over to adult class. Do you think it's beneficial for those teens to come into adult class and just like, I don't want to say get their butts kicked because you don't want adults beating up children, obviously, but like, do you think it's beneficial for those kids to come or those teens to come in and get pushed by the adults? Um, with that balance of being in kids class, you know what I'm saying? Well, that or do you think for, especially for the teens that are serious about competing, that want to be challenged and like you said, tailor your game that you've put so much time into, do you think it would be better for them to leave the younger classes sooner and going into the adults class, even though they may not be able to work on their game, they may have to deal with being smashed more often? Or do you think that they should balance between, you know, staying in some of the younger classes and adults class so that they can not only be smashed and deal with somebody a little bit bigger, but also still have the opportunity to work their A game with the younger students? Yeah, I think balance is important as well. But also with the kids, uh, especially the older ones, like 13, 14, going on 15, they, especially if they're serious about taking their jiu-jitsu to another level and competing and all that, um, putting them with like the white belts and maybe like uh, new blue belts and stuff like that uh, to, to get them a bit smashed up to tell whether they're into it or not. Because like you, you, you're either, I mean, of course, no one likes being smashed, but some people just don't mind it. But it also, it tells them if, whether that's, this is for them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because yeah, so. You, oh, go on, go on. Yes, yeah, so they, they get to realize whether, oh. Oh, you cut out. Hold on, George, you cut out. Okay. I lost you there, we'll be back. Can you hear me now? Okay, go on with what you were saying. Uh, I think I was at like, so they get beaten up and they either say, oh, I don't like this, I'm going to stop doing it, or oh, I don't like this, so I'm going to get better. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because we have a few teens at our gym and I want to kind of push them over into adult class a little bit more because they do want to compete and it's, it's figuring out the seriousness. Like if you are a teen and you're like, I want to be a black belt world champion one day, then you should start making that transition to adult class. But some of those teens, I want them to start transitioning into adult class also. So the adults can have a better interaction with smaller people and uh, people whose technique isn't like a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like the patience and the balance. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I get what you mean. A lot of adults aren't good at rolling. A lot of adults aren't good roll, uh, good at rolling with smaller, younger people or even women. Yeah, and like for me, because you, I think you've had that balance between training with like the kid, the kids, be you know, being a kid, and then training with adults and getting your you know your butt kicked by adults, and now you're the one who's beating up 
adult men, right? Having that transition or that perspective. So if you were to give advice to, let's say, a teenager or someone who's teaching kids class, what advice would you give them on helping the kids transition over to adult class or to start competing? Um, well, if they want to compete, you just have to straight up ask them if that's something that they're interested in. That's what I found. But if you want them to, of course, yeah, that kind of tailors it into each other because if they want to compete, you should then that, I feel like that should be the first question uh, if they want to compete mm -hmm. and then then you can tailor into like, hey, if you want to compete, I think you should come do this class. because I think it will help develop your game further and further. Um, if not, stay in the kids class, just see where you're at for now. And then if it's something you want to do in the future, then you can, of course, transition. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, sorry, because I was going to say like my follow up with that is also if let's say you do have a teen let's say like a 13 year old like Alex, right? Let's say they they know they wanna compete and they know they wanna have really good jujitsu. What advice would you give the other people in the gym to help that person? Um, I feel like for the kids, they need to roll with uh, smaller women, uh, maybe at most a blue belt and then like not really brand new white belts, maybe depends on how they roll, like if they're they roll like spazzes or but like the smaller people like 150 and below uh, preferably i feel like they should roll with them because if they can handle rolling with some of them they, they'll be fine with kids their age yeah so what was it like for you like when did you kind of make the switch from doing more of the kids classes trans transitioning in and then going full-time adults class like what was that experience like for you because i know one thing we're worried about with some of the teens is they want to stay in certain classes because their friends are there. We know that they've got the potential to compete, that they could really amp up their training, but the fear is leaving their friends behind. So did you have an experience like that or was it jujitsu was you, you happen to have friends, but you were focused more on like, I'm going to make this transition at this point. Well, when I started out at the health and Gracie gym, it was a kid's class. Um, and it, it was like three kids in it. Um, and then those other two kids just left. So they just let me do the adult class. Um, so I was there for like two years. And I was just doing the adult class there. And then when I switched to Alliance, um, Hoffa just and Hoffa and Chad uh, just said they could come straight to the adult class anyway. Because uh, of how long I was already in the adults. They didn't want me to put me in with kids because I was already been in the adults class for so long. Um, so I never really had that problem because I never had to fully switch, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was, I, I kind of like, ish did ish help when I was younger at Alliance. Like I was there if I needed it, but I'd also like, um, if like a new person, came, a new kid came in, I was like, I would be their partner. Mm -hmm. So I never, I never really had to experience that firsthand. So I can't really answer that in a, in a way. Well, you have another perspective then, because since you had already switched over to the adults class, did you ever have a circumstance where you were like somebody older than you was in the kids class and then you're in the adults class? Had, did you ever have a time like that? Um, no, I don't think so. I think I was the oldest there as a kid. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I was older like by a year or two. Okay, so in terms of, you know, some of the kids and teens coming into the adult class and, you know, they kind of stick in the corner by the wall, what advice would you give for some of us adults in order to kind of approach them? I know sometimes it's like, hey, I'm so-and-so, if, if you need any help, ask, but it seems like they're still just scared or like they're standoffish, even mm -hmm. once we've once we've introduced ourselves and we're like, Hey, you can work with us. It seems very much like, like, no, I, well, like how, how do you think it's best to connect with them to like, be like, you can work with us. It's okay. Um, I feel like it's always best if there's two kids in there. Um, of course, being the only kid in the adult class is very scary. Um, if there's two, you can approach both of them, I think, and just be like, Hey, if you guys need help, we're here. Um, you guys can work with us as well, um, stuff like that. The thing is that I was 
uh, even before I started jiu-jitsu, I was in the adult class with like the Muay Thai and stuff like that mm-hmm. and uh, the MMA side. So I've always been around adults, so I've not been scared to work with adults or drill with them or uh, be around them. So I never really had that problem because um, I've just been around them for so long. You... So for the sorry, uh, yeah. So for the kids, I just feel like you just start to throw them in or just slowly work their their confidence up. I think. Do you find it weird sometimes then? Whenever, like, for example, like me asking you this, because you're in, like, to you, it's like, I didn't go through this. Why would they feel this way? And not like, you know what I mean? Like, how some instances you're like, I didn't have that at all. Is it weird for you to think that, like, some of the other teens and kids, like, do feel that way? Yeah, a little bit. I I feel like, of course, some kids' confidence levels aren't high, but um, I've always, had a high confidence, I think, in myself. Um, so that, that of course, was never a problem for me. So I feel like just building the, the kids' confidence is, of course, a big thing because being the young, uh, not only the youngest, but also the smallest in the adult class uh, can be intimidating to some. So I feel like just a slight encouragement for them is great. And be, And even if you, like, I feel like the way to get the kids in to the adult class also is putting them with like one of the worst people in the class and if they even do just one move on them like oh i i i did this to an adult like it just boosts that confidence just that little much to be like oh i feel like i can do this now yeah yeah well what's funny is like when i learn a new technique and i want to do it david would tell me he was like you because it's kind of opposite david would be like you need to try this on the kids first <laughs> and then move to a white belt and then do this on a blue belt he's like it'll build your confidence right up about that technique I was like that's a good point um but I want to shift a little bit because I want to talk about mindset and like your competition mindset because I've seen you compete so much and for me because I'm just now getting more into competing and I still deal with like nervousness and self-doubt and you know questioning what i'm doing or overthinking things what is your mindset like when you sign up for a competition and right before you get on the mat what are things that you do mentally not just like your training but like the mental part for you i am the worst person to ask this because i've had so many people ask me this (laughs) Uh, i am like the most unmotivational person whenever i could be i just show up and compete yeah (laughs) Well, maybe uh, I guess it. I guess that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, you're not overthinking it. Okay, some of well, us- then you, you might get where I'm at because everyone has, like, tells me that they've got problems, you know, being too anxious and calming themselves down before competing. I don't have that. I have an issue with not being able to, like, amp myself up to compete where it's like I feel normal and, like, I'm not, like, not – you know, like some people are like, get pumped up before you go out there. And I'm like, I just feel like this plain, yeah, just normal level. Like, I don't feel like I'm ramped up. I don't feel like I'm anxious. I'm just kind of like, oh, just go out. But then I'm not at the level at which you are to be able to perform at a, at a high level, you know? Yeah, the, the problem with, it's like a happy medium you have to find. Because like, if you, if you're too nervous, of course, you underperform because you don't want to I, I don't know how to word this. You, yeah, you just underperform in a sense if you're too nervous. But then, of course, if you're overpumped, you you get so like hyped up, like you just you go too hard, and that's how you make mistakes. So I feel like you just have to find that medium to where you're just like a little nervous and a li- uh, also a little hyped up, so where like it combines and you just go natural, I guess. It makes a lot of sense like that actually makes sense where you have to find that happy medium of like, you know, I can confidently go out and do this. See, and I'm just like, I feel like nothing right now. So that's where I'm struggling where I'm like, I don't feel really anything going out there. Yeah. But I don't know if that also comes with the experience too. Like me, I'm newer to competing now that I'm getting into it a little bit more. I'm like, okay, I can do this. The more I do it, the more I believe in myself, obviously, but George, now that you just got your purple belt, how are you feeling going into competing in like an adult purple belt division for big competitions? I can't wait. I'm so excited. (laughs) 
I think that I think that's awesome. I wanted how, to ask you that because you've done so well as a blue belt. How has it kind of changed over time, you know, especially starting competitions at a younger age? And as you've competed now, you like in some tournaments, you've had the opportunity to go against adults. And like you said, you were finishing out your juvenile, you were able to do in some tournaments, juvenile and adult. How rolling with those individuals, how did like, did you feel a difference? I mean, I know you ended up at the top of the podium most of the times, but in terms of their approach, did it seem like the juveniles actually had their gameness together a little bit more, the ones that were serious about competing compared to some of the adults that were just going out there or vice versa? Like, did you feel like one had maybe more of a game plan or committed to a plan more than the other? I, f- I definitely um, agree that the juveniles are a lot of the time harder than the adults. Um, uh, October last year, I was in the adult, it was a new breed in Florida. I was in the adult and the juvenile division. I submitted all the adults within 30 seconds. Um, and then the juvenile fight, I, I submitted him, the first one in 30 seconds. But the other one for the finals, uh, we I won by an advantage, that's it. So the difference between juvenile and some most of the time, at least, is is, is insane. Just they're way better than most of the adults. Is that because they don't have that ability to either overthink or question what they're doing? I mean, because you you started this young, I started this, you know, in my thirties. <laughs> so that's you- that's the thing. Most the uh, most of the juvenile blue belts are the same boat as me. Um, they started young. Most of them starting before me. Um, that's that's how most of them are so good, and how that's or that's why most of them are at the level they're at now is because they did what I did or more. So because of doing a lot of the juvenile competitions, do you end up running into a lot of the same people? Um, I, yeah, there's this guy, I, um, I first fought him in Orlando, in a Orlando Open. I won my first match and then I fought him. He got me in a triangle and then I, I moved my my arm to the opposite side because I was in the triangle and popped my arm. He like pulled it to the opposite side and popped all the inside. Um, so that was in July. He beat me. And then I fought him again in, uh, I want to say November in the Birmingham open and I beat him. And then I fought him again, in the open division, but he beat me that time. So I fought that guy three times. So yeah, I fought, um, what's it called? A few, the same people a few times. Do you feel like since y'all are at similar ranks that some of these people you're still going to see all the way up to black belt if they also continue doing jujitsu like you're like you're planning to? Um, Possibly just also depends on weight as well. Because I've, of course, gained a good bit of weight lately. Mm -hmm. So I am not I have not competed at this weight yet. The last time I competed, it was under 170. Um. But that was also adults. I have the last time I competed at IBJJF was uh, last January, no February, sorry, and I competed at uh, Atlanta Open. Yeah, was I? W- I was gonna do lightweight, but no one was in lightweight, uh, so I did middleweight. But I think middleweight was one seventy five in the gi for that juvenile. The juvenile brackets or weight classes are a little different than the adult. So yeah, I haven't competed at juvenile at this weight yet. So I feel like oh, well, I'm not even juvenile anymore. So that's not a problem. But of course, those people that were juvenile as well transition to adult, uh, same as me. Mm-hmm. So I have I have a new set. Of course, being purple belt as well and adult. So I have a new set of competitors now, which is gonna be interesting. So how much of like a weight difference going from juvenile to adult? Did you have the same um, kind of like 10 pound weight brackets or like have they changed since becoming an adult? Do you feel like there's different, like bigger weight jumps now that you're an adult? Um, no, for IBGF, the juvenile, the only difference between the juvenile and the adult bracket, uh, weight classes is that Rooster starts at like 100 instead of 115. So they just, they're set back a bit. They're the same weight gap. They just, they're just set back differently, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So even going into this, it's not like you're making like 
a one or two weight class jump going into adults. It's just shifted just slightly. Um, the only thing that's changed is the name. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I competed at, in new breeds. I think my weight class was uh, middleweight, and now now I'm an adult for IBJJF. My weight class is 182 in the gi. That's middleweight. So pretty much the same thing. Okay. It's crazy to me to hear that like 185 is middleweight. Like it just blows my mind for some, like for some things. Cause it's like, that sounds heavy. It does. Yeah, it does, but it's not. And it's, but here's the thing for middleweight for women, it caps at 151 and a half. Yeah. That's um light fed, uh, no featherweight. Sorry for adult blue, uh, adult male. Yeah, no. And then, cause I'm a middle for female and it caps at 151. Cause it starts at 140. So it's like hearing you being like, I'm a middleweight and I'm sitting over here. Like I'm also a middleweight. It's just trippy. Even thinking of like just differences between male and women. Yeah. And then you were just went from like juvenile to adult. So it's just crazy how some of like the weight classes just shift. Yeah. Adult lightweight is uh, 168 and a half in the gi. Wow. That's what her half competes at. Oh, I didn't know that he competed at that. I thought he was closer to like 175. Uh, he dropped, he drops sometimes. It just depends on how he feels, I think. <laughs> okay. So especially now that you like, once you compete at this weight, you know, have you ever felt the need to drop a weight class? No, I've never dropped. At most I've dropped five pounds. I just don't feel the need to. If I, if I'm at the weight I'm at, I feel like I compete the best that way. So Is that what's the point? Oh, sorry. Is that because you're confident enough in your jujitsu and your game that you're you're just want to walk out there and compete? And... Also, I want to I want to compete at my best. Um, not necessarily mental health, but just health in general. Like if I've dropped 10, 15 pounds, you just don't feel your best. So what's the point of doing that just to fight smaller people? Yeah. Uh, that might actually they might just sit at that weight class, so they'll be at their hundred percent game when I might be at seventy five. Yeah. Well, so, it would be like a common theme, like the more we talk to people and like cutting weight and that's like all that, when we go with their walking weight and they're just confident enough when, mm -hmm. with whatever they're able to do, their performances. I get for MMA because sometimes with MMA, like let's say you're six foot and you sit at um, 200, but you want to drop because you the smaller, when you're heavy, uh, sorry, taller and heavy, Sometimes those, um, if you're, if you're heavy and you don't want to go against those really solid guys, so you want to drop just to go against people that would be necessarily the same size as you, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. it does. So MMA it, weight cuts are diff diff way different. Jiu-Jitsu, I feel like you can just get away with not having to cut. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, and then it's also kind of like the availability of opponents. I feel like for MMA, you make your body work to be able to get a match. Whereas for yeah. Jiu-Jitsu, it's there are matches, you just figure it out. I know for women, it's a little bit different because we don't have as many female competitors in a bracket. Because like in normal, There's so many. Like the largest bracket I've ever yeah. had has been eight people. The largest bracket I had was uh, 33. That was my next question. So what is an average size bracket for you? Um, I've had little as one to 33 of course but normally it varies between like three to seven or eight okay and is that more when you do like the local tournaments or when you do the ibjjf uh ibjjf the most i've ever had was 10 and that was worlds mm -hmm. um and then i've had some opens where it's just been me and another guy and, uh, and then i've had other opens with nine five two just to, it, it, i can't even give it an average number it just varies so 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 differently so based off of all of the different locations that you have done let's just focus maybe like ibjjf or new breed or something like that where has been kind of the most successful location you found to have a lot of matches or to have top quality matches um that's another hard one as well because i've done the atlanta open uh five times now yeah something like that um, my first Atlanta Open, I was a green belt. I had two kids. My second Atlanta Open, I had two kids. And the next time I did it, I was a juvenile. I did nine people in my bracket. 
that was in the beginning of the year. And then they, of course, they do two a year. The one at the end of the year, I had uh, like five. And then, of course, the one 2020 um, beginning of the year, I had two other people. So it just, it's, it just varies, really. This, so you, it's so hard to give an average number. So especially for some of the tournaments where you don't have as many matches, are you more likely to do absolute or is absolute like if you are able to, you always do it or is it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I did absolute, of course, this year, last year, I keep saying, I guess it's New Year now. Uh, I did it last year um, in 2019. I think I did the absolute. I wish I did it more. I did it like three or four times in the ABGGFs. I wish I really did it more. Um, I did, I think I did like only two or three tournaments. I didn't do it. I wish I did all of them, to be honest. Do you feel like you're going to enjoy doing absolute a lot more now that you put on muscle and some weight? Oh yeah. I'm, I can't wait to do it. And the thing is with the juvenile uh, absolute say cap it, um, it's split between, uh, lightweight and under and then middleweight and above for juvenile. Yeah. So they have a 155, I think, ish, and below, and then above. So they, it's not a technical absolute, if it makes sense. I Adult think, absolute, you could be 110 fighting a 220. I, yeah, I think there's a couple of AGF tournaments that they're doing that now where it's kind of like split yeah. absolute. So it's like you're kind of clustered to weight classes closer to you rather than like the 100 pound person going up against the 250 pound person. Yeah. Like, In a way I, I get it, but also the, the stigma of being a 110 pound person fighting a 200 pound and you win, like that's just insane. It's cool. Yeah. Do you, especially like being a teen where when you were smaller, you were putting yourself up against a lot of the bigger guys that having a lot of that experience and going through that mentally early on when it comes to absolute, you're like, Oh, this was, you know, two years ago, this is normal. Yeah, because of course, um, there's a lot of big guys at Alliance now. Um, I would roll with, um, I'm just blanking everyone's name now. Uh, you know, because you know Carl Reed, right? Yeah. yeah. He'd come to Alliance every now and then. He's 215, I think. I'd roll with him a lot. He's a big MMA fighter. Um, I'd do fine with him. Um, I'd roll with Frank Jordan and Scott. They're I think Frank's 185, 190, and then Scott's 200. Uh, I'd roll with them and do fine. They're both brown belts. So that, of course, boosted my confidence for absolute and just rolling with anybody in, oh. the, in general. Well, I'm sure rolling with Frank and doing well with Frank is a confidence boost because he's just a beast in general. <laughs> <laughs> just died. <laughs> so um, now that you're like a per now you're a purple belt and an adult. And now you've got some, you know, muscle behind that. Do you feel like you've just got so many more opportunities for growth and exploration as soon as lockdown's over and you're able to go out there and compete and train again? Oh, yeah. I, I'm so excited to get back to it. What are you looking forward to the most when lockdown's over? Just train. <laughs> I just want to train. <laughs> Um, okay. So I know I asked a lot of like what I wanted to talk about. Do you have any more questions for George? The biggest thing is, you know, especially like originally being a teen, so many people, I'm trying to figure out how I want to word this, not take advantage, but they underestimate you, especially, you know, mature like maturing your jiu-jitsu game being able to tolerate other people and getting to where you are now do you miss being underestimated as much as you did like you were because it was like you said it was always fun to kind of like put them in their place when they were they were like oh you're just a kid like a small kid do you kind of miss those days a little bit it was very satisfying <laughs> i always wondered if somebody was like i kind of miss being able to like fuck with people or if it was like, oh, no, I'm glad I'm finally over it so that they take yeah. me seriously now. Yeah, it definitely was uh, very fun to do that. But I guess that I have one has to grow, don't they? Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to comment, how do you think 
like your experience with jujitsu has been due to how supportive your parents are? And do you think like some of the other teens that want to compete that they may or may not be able to get to the level at which you are at because they may not have that parental support like you did? Oh, it definitely makes a big difference because one, they pay for all the tournaments I do and that they're always on my ass to train or that well, that they don't need to be on mass train because i do that anyway um but to make sure i'm sleeping right uh eating right um making sure i'm doing everything that i need to do strength conditioning wise just make sure i'm everything's organized and all that um helping me just with everything in general so that definitely the home background will definitely help with a lot of the kids um mentally as well not just physically but also a counter argument to that, uh, the kids that don't have anything, sometimes that motivates them to do something so they can get out of the situation. So it's kind of like a, a two-edged a double -edged sword, if you get, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. But I feel like a complete ass now because I'm like, I know how much your parents have been the backbone of like your growth in the sport and now like I didn't even mention like Paul or Joe like for people and I think I think about them then, <laughs> like especially since y'all have moved and whenever y'all share pictures of Fred so uh, Fred is their German Shepherd puppy that is just absolutely gorgeous and I love when your dad posts pictures of him all the time <laughs> yeah but the one thing I think about most, like on top of, you know, I, George is known for loop jokes. Like no, whenever I would see you in the gym, it was, all right, where's your parents? Because I knew when you were in the gym, they were also there somewhere. So it'd be like, see you on the mats. Oh, can't say hi to him yet. Where's his parents? Cause you know, they're nearby because yeah. like they were just so supportive of you. And it was so wonderful to see how supportive they were of you. Um, especially like your dad also trains. And, you know, in quarantine, y'all got, were able to get some mats for your house to be able to train together. How different do you think it would have been had he not also done jujitsu with you? Because, you know, it's different when a parent does it with you, because then they understand a little bit more for your needs or your interests. Do you think that also played a role in you being able to train with certain individuals or train longer or do these things? I don't think him training specifically has affected me, but um, he he um, he pays attention when when I'm training. So he 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 tells he tells me this all the time. He he gets pissed off with himself because he knows more than he can do. Like whenever he's rolling, he's like, "I know I I want to do it, but I just can't because I suck." Um, <laughs> no, uh, so he he says it all the time. But yeah, he the I don't think him training specifically has affected me in any way. Um, yeah, it's always fun to beat up my dad, but um, him him paying attention when we're training has helped me because like if no one's there at tournaments to coach, he has he I have a someone in my ear to help. Yeah, what but, um, is your dad? Uh, he's a two one or two stripe blue. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for um, people Did who are listening to like your both of your parents are amazing, and I mean they they have been part of the like Alliance family and the family here. Cause like your mom is also supportive of other people who trained and like would compete too, you know, and I didn't even train at Alliance full time. And she would always ask me how my training was going and um, be there to like cheer me on at tournaments and competitions and stuff too. And like, I really appreciate her for that. So it, it helps having like some of those parents be supportive of other teammates in the gym, um, which is really cool. So yeah, I'm like, I feel bad. <laughs> I can't mention your parents, but, um, they've been such yeah, she, a big part of that. Yeah. She's like team mom, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. So for other teens that are wanting to compete, and like their parents, because some of our listeners are parents, or at least we assume that some of them are parents. Um, I know a couple that have a few little girls that they want to get in, like involved in jujitsu or that have started jujitsu. For the parents of kids and teens that want to start competing, is there any advice you would give to them based off of, you know, what kind of things your parents did for you that you thought, you know, oh, it's really great that they do this. Like, do you have any advice for them? Um, 
I'd, my advice is let them compete once. Because um, they can't tell if they like it or not until they've done it once. So if they express interest in it, of course, let them do that at one time to give them the idea of how it is. Um, if the only problem with that sometimes if they lose on their first one, it lowers their confidence. So um, if you can tell they had fun even though they lost, I'd encourage them to do it again. But if you can just tell they just they didn't enjoy it at all, of course, boost their confidence to say they did good and all that. Um, but maybe encourage them to do it again at a later date. But if you can tell they enjoyed it and they had a great time, even if they didn't win, definitely push them to keep doing it because they don't they don't improve unless they keep doing them. And you feel it's also important that they let the coaches be the coaches. I know you said like since your dad knows something, he can coach you, but do you feel like you had a better experience having somebody else other than your parents coach you or even though they encourage you, like they encourage you to train, they make sure you're doing the right things, but in terms of being that person to coach you, having somebody else do it rather than a family member. Yeah. Cause you're always, uh, you have that relationship with your family. You can be like, no, I don't want to listen to what you're doing. Um, but I, for the longest time I had a problem with not listening at all when I was getting coached. Cause I just like tunnel vision and tunnel hearing as well. Um, I slowly tune my voice into Hoffa's, um, not to my voice, tune my hearing into Hoffa's voice uh, as I was competing. So I could just listen to, I have, I just listen out for his voice. Um, I've also tuned into my dad's voice a bit, but ma mainly Hoffa's. Um, but I feel like now I've gotten to the level where coaching isn't necessary for myself. It's just an added bonus. Yeah. So in terms of being like when you're being coached, do you prefer if people are just like, this is how much time you've got left. These are your points and just kind of be done so that you can do your own thing. Um, no, not necessarily. Cause I keep up that with myself. Uh, I'll, I'll slightly glance at the, the, the scoreboard. Um, I like the coaches to just give me brief updates of what they see. Cause sometimes I can't see um, like, Hey, that's there or Hey, watch that or something like that. Um, nothing major, just slight encouragement as well. So I need. Yeah. Um, well, like da David's co David's style of coaching is, uh, the, in my opinion, the best. He's not overly rowdy. He's not overly calm. He he has that right. He doesn't scream at you. He doesn't whisper. He's got that perfect tone to coach. I think. Yeah, I think David and Hoffa are pretty much two opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to jujitsu coaching. <laughs> Hoffa you know, is almost falling over the railing coaching Hoffa at you. Hoffa needs his in his Brazilian accent, and he's just yelling and cheering. And then David is like, "Get your underhook, do this, yeah, Not this." Hoff is almost like he loses his voice, I think, after every tournament. I will say, though, <laughs> even if both of them are standing beside the mats, I know exactly where Hoffa is in the crowd because it's like, Gailey! Like, I can, I, it's like after they yell their name once, it's like, I know where you're at. I know exactly where you are. Yeah. Well, and Logan's also a really good coach, too. He coached me through one of my IBJJF matches. So if I couldn't hear David, I could hear Logan. And it was this. Yeah, Logan's a good coach. Yeah, it was the similar calm style. See, Adam Honeycutt's yeah. like that because I've had him coach me before. Yeah. And it was like, we're going to do this. Nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something else. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Hoffa's coaching is good for finals when you need to get hyped up and you need yeah. to, get, to get that fire inside of you. That's where his coaching comes at the best time. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because, like, even during comp. So Keely and I were going over to Alliance for competition training before um, Orlando and master worlds. And we were able to, you know, roll with a lot of the guys. Um, and then Hoffa could, he would coach us when we were doing uh, first a score. So he'd be there and he'd be like, transition to this, do this. And like, here you yell at your point. <laughs> I was about to die. I thought my heart was literally going to just explode. Like my body just felt like it was broken and I'm laying on the mat trying to catch my breath. And Hoff is like, don't let them see you like this. He's like, you need to get up. He's like, you get up, you go back out there and you cry later. I was like, okay. Yeah. That's what he says. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't care if you cry after you just can't cry during. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, 
but it just goes to show how lucky we are. And I mean, it's so sad that you had to move away and, you know, I mean, you're always going to be like part of this family and part of the Alliance family. And, um, but it's going to be so exciting to see how you grow as a purple belt, an adult, like an adult, literally like you're turning 18 and you're a purple belt. So you've got, I mean, you've grown so much, but you've got so much growth ahead of you. Like it's going to be really exciting to watch that. Um, so yeah, like we wish you the best of luck with that. Do you have anything else you want to add or, um, anything you want to mention? You can mention some of your sponsors too, if you want. Uh, yeah. So I've been sponsored by Rob Nittman. Uh, he's my strength and conditioning coach. You can go to his Instagram. He's called Rob Nittman or his website, Nittman Performance. Uh, he has his programs all online. You can um, you can buy his. He has a sp special program meant for um, grappling and uh, jiu-jitsu and all that. So he has a program designed for that. You can buy that online. It's a good program. Uh, also, I am sponsored by Dr. K CBD. If you want to buy any of their products, I have a code uh, George BJJ ten exclamation point, all in caps. You can get 10% off anything on their website. Really good CBD products. Um, I, I'm getting ambassadorship from Hyperfly Europe. I don't have a code yet. I'm going to get one. It should be, I think I think he said 15% off everything. Um, I will have a code hopefully in the next few weeks. But um, I'll have that on my Instagram at George Likes Key whenever I get that. Okay. So, yeah, if you want to follow George and his uh, jiu-jitsu journey, it's going to be worth it. Uh, follow him on, on, on Instagram. Um, you can keep up with me and Keely on our Instagram at Black Butler Bust. You can follow us on our personal accounts at Keely McCarty and at What Misty Does. Thank you, George, for letting us interview you. We I appreciate it so much. That there's a major time difference. Um, You're gonna be going to going to sleep soon, maybe. <laughs> hopefully. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's nine o'clock here. No, oh, sorry, nine thirty. Nine thirty, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. bedtime. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, my uh, my dog has an Instagram too. Oh yeah. yeah. What's your dog's Instagram? Uh, Sir Frederick the Shepherd. Okay. Yeah. It's, and it's wonderful. It's worth I, it. When I tell y'all, I love these pictures. <laughs> I mean it. I love these pictures. I love Fred's pictures. He's so He's goofy. Cute. All right. Thanks everybody. Bye. Bye.